You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Happy New Year, Kyla Lee. Yeah, first podcast of 2024. And 2024 is starting out great for us. Oh, yeah. I guess I had I had a viral TikTok video. Sure. I had a, a, a IRP win on the first day back from uh, the, the, uh, the New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. And um, been a very busy week for us, too. Lots going on. And today we had uh, National Spaghetti Day lunch, this being Thursday, the day before we released the podcast. I don't understand your, like, National Spaghetti Day lunch excitement. Well, it was was mentioned in our calendar. And yeah, and and, uh, one of our our loyal friends on uh, Twitter, Clint, uh, told me he knew that it was coming up because he had seen it in the calendar. (laughs) So... Okay. That was that was the reason that we went a little bit heavy for National Spaghetti Day. Sometimes okay. we do these things and there's like some social media for it, but not today. This was just spaghetti. Just spaghetti. Spaghetti day. But it was, mm. you know, well, well. It should, should have been sushi day because we have been experimenting or I've been experimenting with the uh, Alka-Sensor FST on TikTok and had a video go over a million views uh, showing how sushi can impact your breath test. So funny because the video that's after that, um, that you did afterward is with soy sauce. And you think soy sauce uh, is a lot more, uh, a greater concern than ponzu sauce. I mean, not that many people are using ponzu sauce and it's probably the sauce, right? It's not the sushi. Maybe it is the sushi. I don't know. You could break that down. Well, I only sipped the ponzu sauce. I didn't eat anything on the first one. Okay. Well, the uh, maybe people didn't want to watch you eat. Um, in the second one, but the, yeah, the second one deals with soy sauce Mm -hmm. and you got a, again, a positive result on a Alcosensor FST. Yep. Uh, and, um, that one's, you know, in the thousands of views, not the over in excess of a million views. And it's only came a day later. And so you think that soy sauce would be, you know, of more interest to people than Ponzu sauce, but what the heck? Yeah, well, it's the way that uh, it's the way the old uh, TikTok works. It's it's what the the people care about, Paul. Um, anyway, we have another thing that people care about, um, which I don't know. Like, I feel like we don't even need a ridiculous driver of the week because we made it two days into 2024, and there was yet another overpass strike. Yes, um, and, and, and just before, yeah, just before the end of the year, there was yet another overpass strike and the BC government with their new regulations that they uh, had already passed and implemented and put into force and effect um, suspended the carrier profile for one trucking company, Chohan something. I was on Mike Smith. I've been on there at least twice to talk about these overpass strikes. (laughs) And each time I've said, really, like people don't need to freak out. These are anomalies. They're very expensive. The trucking companies understand, you know, they're terrified of it. And here we are. Like I've been completely, uh, completely, I totally failed to predict the future when it came to that. Yep. So the overpass strikes, um, they, they suspend this fleet, but... People already saw and have been posting pictures on social media, the same trekking company 
operating vehicles in British Columbia. How are they able to do that, Paul? Well, I don't know that they're lawfully able to do it, but they are doing it with uh, based out of their uh, Alberta version of the company. Yes. So, of course, your corporation uh, might be owned by the same people, but your corporation is an entity unto itself. Uh, and it's one of the things that trucking companies do uh, if they accumulate too many um, uh, commercial points and things like that is they reform in a new location with a new name and um you know they maybe already had an existing yes malaria in Alberta. well yeah but that's sort of a backup too right um and uh, yes they may have an existing fleet and of course there's different taxation considerations in each province too so it may make perfect sense uh but yes uh Chohan trucking still driving trucks around uh in bc but they are uh from the alberta company and you can imagine how easy it is for them to take their BC fleet and, and uh, get it to Alberta mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, convert them to an Alberta fleet. Yep. So it is uh, unfortunate, um, but it seems like the regulations that the government touted as the toughest in Canada designed to stop these overpass strikes are actually kind of toothless. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, provinces do not want to give up any power when it comes to governing roads and highways to the federal government. Yeah. And these trucks drive right across the country. And we do have certainly, you know, federal regulation regulating it. But again, this is one of those conflicts, federal provincial conflicts. And Danielle Smith would not want to see Justin Trudeau's government come in and regulate Chohan trucking in their province any further than they do. They want to strike overpasses. They can do that in BC because there's not a lot of overpasses to strike in Alberta. (laughs) Well, there's plenty of overpasses. There's every time there's a road that crosses on. uh, Yeah, they're not flat crossings, though, in Alberta. We've thought about that in Alberta a little bit more than they did in Saskatchewan, I think. But the the point there is that, uh, yes, Danielle Smith uh, wants truckers to be free to strike overpasses. Um, you know, in their province, I think is really what it comes down to freedom. It's interesting that, Trucker you, freedom. that you mentioned like the provincial sovereignty sort of situation, because that actually ties into another concern about um, dangerous driving, commercial vehicles and interprovincial driving. Yes. And this is a concern that's been expressed by uh, Mayor Merlin Blackwell of Clearwater, as well as mayors of Barrier and Kamloops and surrounding communities, with the driving behavior of commercial drivers and out-of-province drivers on the Yellowhead Highway. He's a great guy, Mayor Clearwater. Really nice guy. He's on the radio. I follow him on Twitter. Sometimes I've had conversations with him on Twitter about cars. He's got a collection of old Japanese cars. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's made some really good points about, uh, problems on the, uh, on the, uh, Yellowhead, uh, Highway 5 running through Clearwater and all the way up to, to the Alberta border, basically from Kamloops, um, that it is largely dangerous. Well, it's not just dangerous. It is a dangerous highway and some spots really dangerous and they need more passing lanes for sure, because it's one lane going each direction. As you say, you do everything you can to avoid those highways for the same reason we see it uh but the um the problem that they've got there right now is really um you know i would set would have said a while ago a labor shortage but now i think it's just an allocation of resource shortage because they just do not have the police officers up there and that's his primary complaint people are barreling down that highway 
without any sense that there's any any police presence anywhere. Like I, I'm surprised that there that there aren't robberies on the highway. Highway men, you can drive all that time, no police. Yeah. Well, a lot of the other um, complaints about that highway have been that drivers on that highway who are doing the barreling and the aggressive driving are not typically drivers from British Columbia. They're Alberta drivers coming and visiting their recreational properties or here on holiday, coming to ski or whatever the case may be. And they don't experience consequences if they get tickets in B.C. So they aren't deterred, even if there was police presence, from driving like jerks. I've seen this many times. Two skidoos up on the back of an Alberta truck, (laughs) um, you know, driving from Alberta. A- aggressively in a, water. a pickup truck tailgating me on that highway more than once. Yeah, with two or three skidoos loaded up on the back. Um, and um, again, get pulled over, get ticketed. Nothing for them. Pay the ticket. Uh, and even if they don't pay the ticket. Don't pay the ticket, right? You know, what are they going to do? The B.C. government does really no collections on tickets. Yeah, there's nothing the B.C. government does to enforce the collection of tickets for out-of-province drivers. And even though the provinces have agreements in place that would allow them to, if they all, you know, said, let's implement this, um, allow them to reflect out-of-province convictions on an in-province driving record and take those into consideration for the purposes of suspending driving privileges, they don't do that. Well, Alberta will never agree with it again. Daniel Smith. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, know. you might have got that under the... Uh, under Rachel the, Notley. Yeah. You might have got that. Yeah. But, but yeah. So it's, it, you know, it ends up being like a scot-free, you know, Albertans take their oil money and pay their ticket or they don't pay it at all and they don't do anything about it. Yeah. The only time there's any repercussions if it is if it is an excessive uh, speeding ticket and their vehicle is impounded for seven days. Yeah, and then they get mad. And you know, then they're very angry, very angry. Yeah, how did they come to this yeah. province where we seize people's vehicles? Um, those are the people I'm generally not sympathetic. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if you're an Alberta driver and you get a ticket in BC, uh, I think that the clock is ticking on the amount of time you have left to do nothing about it. I think these complaints coming out might spur the government to make the necessary changes. Yeah, and there's things that they could do, uh, and there's various ways they could come at it. And I haven't never really turned my mind to it, but um, I, you know, just sitting here, I can think of a number of creative things that they could do. I'm not going to throw them out. Uh, right now, I was, but I was on Radio NL in Kamloops uh, earlier this week, yesterday morning, and you know they asked me some things that they could do, and you know one of them, and I know it's unpopular, and I am not advocating for this, but one thing that they could do is photo radar on those highways. Well, I'm not advocating for it, but um, I would think that uh, one thing that they could do certainly is if people don't pay a ticket in British Columbia, suspend them from being able to operate a motor vehicle in British Columbia. Yeah. Um, just mail them a notice of uh, notice of driving prohibition, give them, you know, 60 days or 90 days after the, the ticket is due, mm-hmm. send them a letter saying you're prohibited from driving in British Columbia and you will remain prohibited from driving in British Columbia until such time as this ticket is paid. And any other driving prohibitions have expired. One wonders, though, like about the constitutionality of that, because it could have out of province implications. Because if you say you are an Alberta driver, your license gets suspended in British Columbia because of unpaid traffic fines and you move from Alberta to Saskatchewan. When you go to Saskatchewan, you have to declare that your right to drive is not 
suspended in any province or territory in Canada. It yeah, earned... Pay your damn ticket. <laughs> so I know, but yeah. is it is it extra? Is it is it uh, ultra vires the prob- province of British Columbia's powers to do that? Yeah, well, try it. I just say yeah. you know Heard do it and let somebody let look, somebody see. Look at all the other things that are ultra vires the province's powers that they've they've done. They've tried for the sake of trying it. Yeah, sure. Move along drug user legislation, for example. Sure. So, you know, I think there's a remedy there. In, uh, the, the, and I don't think it's photo radar, but I think photo radar in Alberta is part of the problem because people in Alberta are so uh, oppressed with their photo radar. I'll tell you, it's it's over the top. They get to BC, they think, oh, there's no photo radar here. I've got to drive like an asshole. <laughs> you know? and also, they, you know, they're on vacation and, 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 Everybody in Alberta seems to love to come to BC and and behave like, you know, not always perfectly. So, um, not always perfectly. That's a very diplomatic way of. Well, I'm, I'm from Alberta. You know, I got here. People drive faster. I was, you know, excited about the fact that people drove faster when I got here. Okay, fair. Um, now for our third kind of the ridiculous driver of the week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. Which I guess like last week we did. This is basically three ridiculous drivers this week. Yeah, it's it Chohan is. Trucking, it's the Albertans. Chohan Trucking, Albertans, and uh, Florida now, of Canada. And now we have an Abbotsford man who managed to rack up his 21st impaired driving conviction. And honestly, I couldn't believe it was in BC that somebody had this. I mean, a, a bunch of his convictions are from Ontario. Sure. Um, long yeah. history of it. And obviously he didn't have a license. Um, he was driving while disqualified. Yeah. He's like got a lifetime driving prohibition in BC, certainly, and probably everywhere in the country. I think at some point a court gave him like a like a 15-year driving ban or something like that under the criminal code. Yeah. Well, under, I mean, he's old, right? He was in his late 60s, I think. So mm-hmm. he's going to jail for five years and uh, not going to be easy for that old man going to jail. But All right. So unpopular opinion time. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul knows that I do not believe in the carceral state, um, but I especially do not believe in incarceration as a method to deal with impaired drivers. I don't believe in it. Well, I, you know, I don't think it's dealing with any rehab. Um, we absolutely nothing. We look at our toolbox, and the only tool we have is a hammer. Uh, and it's really like the I look at the entire justice system now. You, I've, this is twenty four years that I've been. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to consider article student time, it was nineteen ninety nine. Twenty five years that I've been wandering around in courts and doing these things and helping people deal with these charges. And I got to tell you, like I have, I, I am just so saddened by the fact that nobody seems to come up with creative solutions for these things in in every other field everything has changed entirely in 25 years um and here we are in law we're using uh i i don't think our our courts really have the capacity to um sort out truth from 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 fiction i don't think they have the tools for that I don't think the the methods of getting to the solution are solving the problem for anybody. Think about sex assault cases. 
um, you know, we've basically stripped the procedural protections to ensure that that people are not wrongly uh, convicted. Um, and uh, uh, just because we're concerned that too many people are acquitted, and that doesn't seem to be, to me, satisfying at all. But of course, it's still not even close to satisfying for somebody who is a victim of sexual assault. I just don't, I just don't see us making the tangible step to reconsider how we do things, including jail. Well, we're not, we're not making that step. I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that we're recording this podcast today on the first day of Canada's new stricter bail laws that might be offside some Supreme Court of Canada jurisprudence and might get constitutionally challenged successfully and struck down coming into force and effect. And again, like it's just not it, we're, we're not looking for solutions. We're just like moving the moving the pieces on the on the uh, chessboard without any consideration of trying to it's weird because, you know, I'm I'm old enough now. I've been practicing for, I guess, 12 years as of May or in May we, this year. This year will be 12 years. Oh, my gosh. This is your halfway of my old. Halfway I'm of me. Freaking old, Paul. Um, <laughs> well, I feel old. And it's weird because I've seen like a pendulum swing in um, the way that we we treat people in the criminal justice system. You know, when I when I started, it was Harper government. It was tough on crime. And then, you know, the Supreme Court of Canada started striking down Harper era, era um, laws and uh, sentencing regimes. And then we had, you know, the availability of more uh, sentences. We had Supreme Court of Canada judgments swinging the pendulum towards more reasonable access to bail. And now we're going back to, well, we've had some problems with this system. So I guess what we were doing before, we're just going to go back to that. But all we're doing is swinging the pendulum from left to right. We're not recognizing that maybe we should be going from like a north north to south. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the pre-Harper, um, there was very few complaints about the bail system. Um, the bail system ended up being challenged and, and aspects of it struck down as a result of changes that they made. Um, and you know, now the federal government has been trying to figure out, you know, where, how it's going to strike the balance again. I mean, it's kind of like going back to the Cretchen years of bail, uh, which wasn't so bad, frankly. But it's also like, you look at this person, 21 impaired driving convictions in a 60 year life. Um, he, there is only one explanation there. It's not that he's an asshole who just decides to do whatever he wants. It's not that he's a person who has no regard for the lives and safety of other people because it's clear he also has no regard for his own health and safety. This is a person who has a very serious, long-standing, deeply entrenched addiction, a mental health issue. And that comes from trauma. And it's somebody that the system has repeatedly, like, I feel bad for this person because the all all we're doing is putting interlock requirements and driving prohibitions that are being ignored and throwing him in jail for longer and longer periods, but we're not addressing the underlying thing that keeps bringing him back before the court, keeps causing these same issues. Why are we not? But how do we know? How do we know that he hasn't gone through rehab 15 times? Well, 
And how do they know that? Good enough rehab then. Well, I mean, some people are incurable of their are of their alcoholism. There are people who are just incurable of their alcoholism. And what what that? What does alcohol do? It takes away your ability to make good decisions. I do not believe that. Some people don't have the personal motivation to do it. Like come from rise from trauma. You're right. But what are you going to do to protect the public? What are you going to do to keep this guy from getting behind the road and killing somebody? I mean, the you know, I know you and I see a lot of people who are are apprehended for drinking and driving and they have no symptoms and they don't they don't look impaired in any way shape or form and they're probably not really a significant risk if they are a risk but this guy is clearly a risk well to the public hold up because the risk that you're talking about is a risk of consuming alcohol and getting behind the wheel but if you give somebody the tools to make different decisions Instead of just, like, hit the puppy on the nose after it pees on the floor, you know, teach the puppy how to pee outside. Well, uh, I'm not doing demonstrations for the puppy. Um, I don't quite know how you're going to deal with it. And on top of that, again, this is a situation where what is our, you know, our, our one of our most important fundamental things that we have is our personal freedom. Um, and our personal freedom is is so important to so many people. You see these uh, uh, the, the 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 way that people have responded um, a certain group to having their freedoms limited just the tiniest bit by the federal government for a short period of time in a oh, pandemic. Those are the same people that cheer on. I know. Removing bail for repeat offenders and cheer on like the jail. I know they're, they're complete hypocrites. But the point is that freedom is very important to us. And so how much freedom do you take away from somebody to try and rehab them? How much how much do you, you know, get the state involved in trying to tell them what to do? Shouldn't at some point, okay, the guy serves a sentence, get out of jail or serves a sentence and, and even if they try and put him through rehab, I mean, he he doesn't have to participate. There's got to be some voluntary component there. There's got to be some but there, decision to make. Problem. Like, look, you 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 look at this. You say there's got to be some voluntary component, some decision to make. He never had the opportunity to make that decision within the confines of the criminal justice system because you can't sentence somebody to a, to rehabilitation. Um, and the the closest thing you could do is a curative discharge. But where were his convictions? Ontario and BC. The two places that didn't have curative discharges. He got started. But you know what he got? And the earliest ones? In the earliest ones on his record, he had a $300 fine and a three-month driving prohibition. And then the second time, he got a $500 fine. Right. And he got a six-month driving prohibition. Great. And then the third time, he went to to jail probably for two weeks. Um, And none of those things you know, ever caused him to seek the help that he needed. And, but and, and in, even... I know, but you cannot force everybody into it. You can, there's limits to what you can force people to do. There's all these people who are drug users on the street right now, Kyla, who are addicts who need help, but you can't just go kidnap them. Well, no, and I'm not them advocating into, for that, well, but I'm saying the system needs to have alternatives and it doesn't. And we eliminated even more alternatives than we already had. True. Anyway, um, you know, I don't think jail has to be cruel jail, but in a circumstance like this, where these are the tools in our toolbox, unfortunately, is the hammer. Um, I just hope that it's a, a circumstance that recognizes that and that he ends up in a facility that's, uh, you know, 
not intended to be cruel punishment, uh, which so much seems to be when I look at it. You know, there's uh, a lot of these people who are in uh, in medium security should be in minimum minimum security. However, um, there's also people who should probably not be getting day passes, as we as we know. Uh, it's always a tough thing for the people in the justice system to find the right balance, bearing in mind the authority and power they have to do something with somebody. Well, there you go. That's our podcast. I know you don't like it when we disagree on the podcast, but I thought this was a particularly spicy disagreement. And of course, it's always my unpopular opinion when we talk about putting people in jail. Well, that's the only time that we disagree is when you, when you, you like take the un, when you take the unpopular. No, no, I'm not. I mean, it's look, I've I've managed to keep so many of like ninety nine point nine percent, probably more, of my clients who were, you know, facing a circumstance where jail was a possibility. I've managed to keep them out of jail, and I'm thankful for that. Well, very sure there because I don't want them anybody going to jail and the few times that I have had somebody go to jail it just uh, you know it burns on my soul yeah well that's our podcast if you need to reach us about a driving law related issue you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law lock them up